Well, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. As we continue our study in Nehemiah, the study of God's rebuilding of the walls of our lives. You know, and as we look at this, let's, not make, let's make sure that we're not just concentrating on a rebuilding, but also on just building initially. As the Holy Spirit brings us into Christ, God begins to build us up. But what often happens, and what is going to happen in every one of us, is that there are going to be times when we will neglect the work of God. We will neglect the wall of God's testimony, if you would. We will allow sin. We will invite sin. We will cooperate with the enemy in his work of bringing damage to the testimony of God. It's just going to happen. I don't think there's a person who has been saved more than about 20 minutes who can say that since I've been saved, I have never, ever done anything whatsoever consciously to cooperate with my flesh or sin. Anybody in here has said that? Or can you say that? And so every time something occurs of disobedience or sin, may I repeat that? Every time something occurs because of disobedience of sin, every time, no matter what the issue is, it results in a crack in the wall of God's testimony. It results, if you would, in one of those little fissures, of one of those little just imperceptible maybe damage to the wall. And then another sin. And another sin. And the crack begins to become a little bit larger. And often we look at it to say, well, it's okay. It's, it's, it's not that bad. And then one day a wind comes in and an opposition comes in and we find that the little crack that we saw, that we perceived, was much more dangerous because we were just looking at something from the outside and we didn't realize that on the inside of the wall there was more massive damage than what we had perceived looking at it on the outside. And so very much what we see in Nehemiah is so applicable to us. Isn't this the way the Word of God is in every area? So personally applicable and up to date. And as we begin this morning, last week you were privileged if you were here. I know many were out last week. I know Gene and I were out. We were privileged to hear from Evan May, who is such a blessing to us. And he's a blessing to me. And he and I walked together in so much of this teaching material, and I asked him to kind of look over and preview what it is that I am teaching. And so any of the errors and mistakes, bad doctrine is his fault. It's something that he would have done. <laughs> but I want to make just a public declaration of my personal thanks to Evan and my personal appreciation to him as a man of God, as a man right now who is helping us on staff to promote the gospel and to continue the work of the kingdom of God. So I want to just do that, even though he's not here this morning. This morning he's teaching the baptism class, which, what's the name of the fellow who left, the piano player? Which Matt Mason would have been teaching at this time, so Evan is doing that. So be sure to not build Evan up in the wrong way, but be sure to acknowledge God's work in him and his usefulness in this church, and I'm sure you already are doing that. Father, thank you so much for your ministry in our lives. Father, this morning, as every time we open your word, here is another opportunity for us to receive from you, to hear from you. Father, for we know that everything we know of you, about you, is not the result primarily of our investigation and of our study, but of revelation by the Holy Spirit. Father, this word 
who you are and what you have done, this mighty work of the gospel of our salvation would be foreign to us and outside of us if it were not for the work of your spirit in bringing about revelation of truth, creating in us the reality, the livingness, the vitality of who you are and what you have accomplished in the cross of Christ. So, Father, this morning as we begin, we don't depend on our abilities or what we have studied or what we know. Father, we thank you for that, but our dependence is upon your spirit continuing to reveal, to work, to change, to challenge, to correct, to provide, to lead, to promote, to do everything necessary so that we may be those people in whom your testimony shines brilliantly and effectively so that the world may know the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, all of that was free. None of that counts toward the 45 minutes of the class, so thank you so much for your cooperation. As we turn to chapter 4 this morning in Nehemiah, if you would, just make sure your Bibles are open to Nehemiah chapter 4. We will be discussing this morning the continuing work of how does God rebuild that which has been damaged or even, when I say destroyed, you, we will not destroy the testimony of God, but damages so much of what God has done. And by the way, if that machine is too high, you know, if this is too loud, will someone turn that down? So sometimes the speakers get louder than I do, and I don't want to be too loud for you. So by the time we come to chapter 4, by the time we come here, remember where we have been. Two events are occurring simultaneously. Two things are happening at the same time. The work is progressing. We are moving along in our obedience to God. Life is moving. I am obeying. I'm cooperating. I'm reading the word. I'm praying. I'm worshiping. I'm doing what God wants me to do. The work of God is moving along. But at the same time, when the work of God is moving along, there is another work that is also moving along simultaneous to the work of God. And what is that? The opposition of the enemy. And this is a very significant issue to see and understand, appreciate, and to be ready for. Because every time, may I repeat that? Every time any of us take a step no matter how large or small the step may be in obedience in moving with God there will be an opposition a counter move to either stop it and if the enemy can't stop it at least to slow it down and to mess it up and to sidetrack it and get it off course how many of you notice that you experience the move of God, the presence of God, a revelation, the blessing of God. Something is obviously happening or has happened in your life that you can identify. This is God. And then within a very short period of time, things are going wrong. Things are happening. Like, I thought this was God, but look at this. I thought God was blessing, but how can this happen? And so we are caught, if you would, in this battle between two issues light and darkness and God is moving and there is always a counter move so by the time we come to chapter 4 the work is progressing it's moving along they're doing what they need to do but also the opposition is not only continuing but it's increasing now, this will always be true. The testimony of God will always be opposed by Satan, resulting in what we might call constant spiritual warfare. Now, what I want to do, and I'm not sure if I can get it done by next week, but I want to take one of these mornings, and whether it's next week or the week after next, I'm not sure, 
And I want to take a little side trip, if you would, into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, where Paul talks about the six pieces of armor. Because I think it's significant for us to have somewhat of an appreciation and understanding of what these pieces of armor are when Paul talks about entering into strong warfare against the enemy, against the schemes of the devil. We need to understand, I think, a little better of what is going on and what we must do to prepare ourselves more effectively for this warfare, which every one of us who are in Christ are in a constant battle against the opposition of Satan. Every one of us who are in Christ are in constant battle, spiritual warfare against Satan. Whether we realize it or not, we are in an Iraq or Afghanistan of the spirit. And he's always watching in order to attack us and overcome us. Listen what the Apostle Paul says when he is on his way back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. And he's visiting the church in Ephesus for the last time. And he's near there, so they get into the port of Miletus. And he says, look, call for the elders of Ephesus, this church where I spent three years in preaching the gospel and building the church and, and nourishing the people of God, this great, great church of Ephesus. He says, I need to see them one more time because I want to tell them some things. And listen to what this man who loved the church so much, listen to what he tells them in chapter 20, verses 29 to 31, the beginning of 31 of Acts. He says, I know that after I leave, after my departure, fierce wolves, what? What kind of wolves? Fierce wolves. Brethren in Christ, one of the biggest mistakes we make is not to see the enemy for who he really is. He is a fierce wolf. Fierce wolves will come in among you. They're coming in from the outside to get us, to attack us. Not sparing the flock. And even from among your own selves, from within the church, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be, just don't worry about it. Don't take it that serious. Chill out. Relax and live any way you want. What does he say? Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Let's talk about the reason for the warfare that we see in Nehemiah. What is the reason for so much warfare? Why? You have to remember that man was created to worship God alone. I have a reference in your notes. You see it, Isaiah 48, 11. <clears throat> and the Lord says that he does not share his glory with anyone, that man's purpose is to glorify God, to worship Him. This is our purpose, that man alone was created only to worship God, to hold Him in honor and in reverence and make Him the meaning and the substance and the aim and the satisfaction and the joy of our life. Nothing is to compete with God in this. But as we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, remember the nature of all sin is the replacement of God as the only worthy one of worship. This is what we're battling every day. We're battling every day against those things which give us pleasure apart from and even in opposition to God. Why do we sin? Because we like the sin. And so the entire world system and if you look at the Bible, it will tell you this. The entire world system is designed by the enemy to be an opportunity to lure us away from our primary purpose in life and really our only purpose in life, and that is to be men and women, <coughs> excuse me, men and women whose lives are a worship, a living worship of our God. And so, therefore, the warfare is always about our worship. Whom will we worship? That is always the warfare. It's always that struggle about whom will we give honor to? What will we give credence to? What will we think is important in life? 
and hopefully as we listen to this, we're thinking even this morning, where is my life in this? How am I doing in this particular area? What area am I a worshiper of God and what area am I not giving my allegiance to God because I'm giving my allegiance to this? Think of this. What area, what issue, what relationship, what thing in your life that if you lost it would really make you upset and angry or sad? And that should say something to me. That should say something to you. Nothing of this world of our relationships should preempt our relationship and joy in Christ. It's a matter of worship. So, of course, the spiritual being behind all of this is Satan. We know that from the Word of God, of whom Jesus says in John 8, he is a liar and the father of lies. And everything he speaks is a lie. So although our warfare is ultimately against Satan and his gang, the warfare occurs whenever and wherever the Lord's testimony is at stake. And so wherever we are dealing with the Lord's testimony, which is really every area of our life, what's at stake here is that the enemy will be constantly looking and seeking ways to undermine, to corrupt, maybe if he can, to destroy that testimony. And it's a constant thing. So who is the enemy in Nehemiah? How does the enemy work out? Because obviously Satan uses means other than just a spiritual means. This is not just, ooh, there are real practical issues here. So who is the enemy in Nehemiah? Who are these people who are the enemy in this particular work of God? They are foreigners. What do you mean by foreigners? They are those not of the household of God. Now, hopefully, there are no enemies of God in the church. But we know that the church has enemies of God. We saw that from Paul. From within will come these corrupting and antagonistic issues, and we'll see some of that in a couple of weeks. Who are these foreigners? Those who came into the land through the gate of sin. Now, you may not understand what I mean by that. You remember the history, Israel and the nation of Israel split in two after Solomon's sin, Jeroboam, the ten northern tribes, Rehoboam, the southern tribe of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, some of those, but mainly the tribe of Judah. And for years, the northern tribe called Israel, the southern now nation called Judah. For years, the Israel <coughs> was in apostasy and disobedient, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, the Lord sent the Assyrians in to literally wipe out the nation of Israel. And so in 721, 722 B.C., remember the nation of Ish, uh, Assyria came in and destroyed the northern tribes, dispersed them throughout the land, and made Samaria, which was the capital of the nation of Israel, populated with all kinds of people from around the nations. So these people in Nehemiah are those who came in as a result of sin. Listen to what the word says from 2 Kings 17.24. And I'm going to ask you to be very observant of 2 Kings 17.24 because it still is applicable in my life and in your life today. Here is a devastation. And the king of Assyria, who is he? He is representing the activity of sin and Satan and its control and its devastation. That's what this, this is a real man, but he means something in the spirit. He is representing and standing for the devastation and the activity of Satan and sin in my life and in your life and in the church. So the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and a whole lot of other places. All of these influences, he brought them in and placed them in the cities of Samaria where the people of God used to live instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. That's the enemy's design for us is to literally set up a place to live in our lives through the gate of sin. 
How does destruction occur? How does deterioration in the wall occur? How does it occur? It occurs through the gate of sin. It comes in that way, whether through active disobedience and sin or whether through this sinning that just is lazy and doesn't pursue the purposes of God, whether it's the passive or active activity of sin. The walls of God's testimony in my life and in your life is a result of one single issue, and that issue is sin. And it is the most devastating thing in our lives. You see, these people were not true worshipers of God. They said they were. Oh, we all believe in God. We all worship God. We believe in the same God. Have you ever spoken to someone who is not a believer and you knew he wasn't a believer? And But they'll tell you we worship the same God and we all believe the same things. Anybody ever had that experience? We all worship the same God. I go to church. You know, we go to church. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, this religion or that religion. It, we all worshiping the same God. We all uh, are looking to the, no way. You see, because what they have done is they worship God according to their own way. Oh, I think it's okay if I do this or do that. Or I don't think we have to be too concerned about how we approach God. I think God is the kind of God who understands that if I do this, it's okay. It's saying that the most important thing to God, and that is worship, can be decided upon and regulated by the way I think. But you see, that's not true. They worship God according to their own way. They commingle their purposes, their thoughts, their theology, their beliefs with those of God. It's called syncretism. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus dealt with that with the woman at the well. He's beginning to move in and press in concerning her life and what kind of person she is. And she's saying, well, you know, you Jews say, y'all got to worship in Jerusalem. But, you know, we Samaritans think this mountain is okay. And so, really, what's the difference? Does it really matter as long as we're sincere? Jesus says the day is coming and now is when the what what kind of worshiper true worshiper of God will worship the father how in spirit and in truth for such is the father looking for these kinds of people and so you see the enemy is coming in these foreigners or those who are not believers and who believe that it doesn't matter how we worship God as long as we're doing something religious they came in through the gate of sin. What is the nature of the warfare? How does, how does it happen? The nature of the warfare is intimidation. Now think of your own life. Think of your own life. Think when things are happening in your life and all of a sudden you begin to get those thoughts and feelings that begin to make you afraid and worried. Anybody ever have anything like that? Anybody at all ever have a thought that made you afraid or worried? Yes. Intimidation. Here is one of Satan's most effective methods of undermining our trust and our walk with God. Intimidation. It's Satan's attempt to sow fear and discouragement through ridicule or through other means to undermine the enthusiasm and the confidence of those who are building the wall in our lives also. Fear. Accusations. Well, what if that happens? Or this has happened and I'm afraid that whatever. And we begin to create in our own minds, listening to this voice of the enemy, we begin to create scenarios we begin to live in the land of what if. But what if that, that happens? And you know, if that could, this could happen. And we begin to go down a land and a path in the land that doesn't exist. How many of you have been in the land of what if? How many of us have been there? Come on, all of us have. Haven't we all been in there? What if I don't get to work on time? What if the boss does this? What if I, my job does that? And so the what if is a major activity of Satan to begin to cause us 
to think in a realm that is not real and to create scenarios that cause us to fear and have anxiety and worry. Our heartbeat gets up, our, what do you call it, blood pressure kind of, we begin to kind of sweat a little bit and, and we can feel it physically. And may I say this to you? Anytime you have thoughts or feelings that begin to create in you that gut feeling, you know what I'm talking about, those gut feelings? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those feelings that hit you in the gut? Anytime you have feelings or thoughts, you're listening to something, you're hearing something, you're imagining something, and it's hitting you in the gut. Does God speak like that? Does God's word, even if he tells you, you've sinned, Samuel, because when God tells you you've sinned, that was wrong, he's doing it a way to build you up, and there's an issue there that isn't fear, but it's really, wow, I didn't want to sin, but it's encouragement because it's an opportunity for you to grow, right? So it's not the same kind of feeling. And when you have those other feelings, need to begin to realize this ain't God this ain't God how many of us this week had any of these thoughts or feelings anybody this week only about three of you now really how many this week have had some of these I don't know whether we can pass a week without it there's a constant barrage of thoughts of intimidation of questions of what ifs and they are attacking our guts you can feel it in your guts but King James calls it what for those of you who know King James what do they call it what does he call it the bowels of God the bowels of God and when you feel this you need to say to yourself wait a minute God doesn't speak this way and begin to immediately identify the source of that conversation. And once you've identified it, and you can tell by the barometer of your feelings, your feelings or the barometer, your spiritual barometer to tell you, is this the spirit of God or is this the spirit of Satan? And if the barometer is pointing on the Satan side, then what are you to do? You're not to talk to it. You're not to debate it. You're not to wonder, wonder about it. You're to reject it. You're to say to yourself, this is not God. These thoughts are not of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I reject them and I will not think them. You need to put them out of your mind. I know people will say you're out of your mind, but sometimes you need to be out of your mind. Church, let's not be those who are led about by the hooks of Satan with his lies and intimidations because we can physically feel and discern and tell the source of this information. I hope that this helps some of you to begin to learn to identify the source of Satan and sin. So that when this stuff happens in your life, what if, immediately, that's a word of the enemy, what if. Immediately we can shut those things down and go to God and say, Father, this is not your voice. Will you speak to me? Will you flush my mind and my thinking and my feeling by your spirit? So here we begin in verse 1 in chapter 4. I'm a little behind time this morning. Remember discouragement. So in chapter 4, verse 1, Sanballat, who is one of these foreigners, approaches Jerusalem with the army of Samaria. He's now gathered a whole lot of people, and he's outside the gates of Jerusalem with some kind of an army. Your, your uh, Bible may say another word for army, but it's basically the word for army. And 
Do you feel his intimidation? Listen to his words as these people are building, as you are building, as you are seeking the Lord's work, as Satan is opposing and things are not working right and everything is difficult right now. And you're thinking, can this be God? Where is God? Can it be God? There's so much difficulty and problems and things are crashing down. How can this be God? And all of a sudden you hear these words, what are these feeble Jews doing? You're going to fail. It's not going to work. Anybody been in a relationship that's been under attack and you felt that it's not going to continue right? You see, we get them all the time in the office. You wonder, why does this old man get so animated about this? Because I am tired of seeing Satan have so much effectiveness in the body of Christ. I'm tired of it. see your children getting beaten up at school guess what mama and daddy are going to do what you're going to do tc you're going out there to find out what's going on and put a stop to it right you're not going to tippy toe around you're going to take up arms against the enemy and church this is where we need to be rather than being so lax about everything we need to get violent against the enemy in the grace of God. Will they restore it for themselves? They're weak, they're feeble. Will they sacrifice? Their worship isn't going to work. It's just not, God's not in this thing. Will they finish up in a day? They're too, they're going to get tired. You can just hear him dripping with sarcasm and intimidation. And you can hear it in your own life. The purpose of the teaching is not just to tell us about Nehemiah and these Jews of 444 A.D. B.C., but it's to tell us about what is going on in my life today and in your life today. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn one? You've just gone too far. You can't do it. It's too late. You've had too much damage. You may as well surrender and give up. It's intimidation. It's a lie. Satan was trying to give them a spiritual heart attack that would halt the building program. Heart, the heart of God, heart attack. Well, what is the defense in verses 4 to 9? What is the defense? In verses 4 to 9, Nehemiah responds, what is my defense when I'm feeling this, when I'm experiencing this? And brethren, I am going to get this regularly in my life. I don't know if I pass a day when I have had to say to the enemy directly, Satan, you cannot and you will not make me sin. I have to fight. Carrie, i got to struggle in this. This isn't a cakewalk. You have an enemy out there who wants to devour you. I have to fight regularly. Some of you have been in my office when I've told you. I have to sometimes raise my voice. I know that you don't think I should do that, or maybe I will ever, but sometimes I have to raise my voice against Satan himself. You say, oh, wow, you really believe that? You don't believe it? Watch what happens. You better believe it because Satan is a being who attacks us in various ways. Where do you think these thoughts and these feelings and these things are coming from there's spiritual arrows and so on that are coming in and the next week or the week after next when we get in Ephesians 6 we'll talk a little bit about how to deal with these things these flaming darts as Ephesians 6 talks about so Nehemiah responds in the only appropriate way there's one way to deal with this there's only one way he called upon God to take up battle against his enemies he says God get them get them. Remember in James chapter 4 verse 7 submit yourself to God come on, come on, resist the devil and what is he going to do? He's going to flee submit yourself to God resist the devil and he'll flee Nehemiah goes to God and he says Lord we're your people we're the people of your testimony we're under attack pat we're under attack god rise up as a result the work continued 
he fought a battle, our greatest battle against the spiritual warfare opponents in our lives is where? In prayer. The single greatest battle of all eternity, my understanding, you may debate this, I believe the single greatest battle that ever occurred and will ever occur happened in the garden when a man entered the garden and fought against his own desires and his own concerns and he fought for the will of God and he said father if it be thy will let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but your will be done and Luke said and great drops as of blood fell from him the greatest single battle that ever occurred was in Gethsemane why was the cross successful because of Gethsemane don't skip Gethsemane and get to the cross too quickly. Hang out in Gethsemane and understand and experience the horror and the fear, if you would, the terror of this man who faced the wrath of God. But he entered to the cross on the path of prayer. The greatest way and the only way to deal with spiritual opposition as far as the primary issue, then there are practical things that must be done. As a, work that, as a result, work continued. We built. And the opposition went away, right? I'm going to obey God. I'm not going to fall for that sin. Daniel, I am going to resist the devil, and I will not do what the enemy is telling me to do. And I say that, and I actually experience success and victory, and I'm walking in victory because I've said yes to God and no to Satan. And I'm thinking, it's all over. I've got it now. Satan ain't coming back. And all of a sudden, but I obeyed you, God. But I obeyed you. Every time you Spend time with God in prayer and in worship and obedience. Satan is coming back. In chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus came forth out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a little term that says, and Satan, what? What did he do? For, he waited in for war. More convenient time. Satan is coming back. Don't ever think this thing is finished. You know when this warfare is over? When you're dead. Or when Jesus returns and gives us a new body. That's when it ends. So we end this for the long haul. So the opposition increased. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in Jerusalem. Verses 6 to 8. As a result, the people did what? They lamented and they worried and they... no. As a result, they got back together and they continued to pray. And we prayed to our God. I think one of the biggest issues and then one of the most primary ways that spiritual warfare is successful is to make sure that we see that our warfare, although individually in me happening, it must happen within the context of the corporate body. Our warfare is just not my opposing Satan and resisting sin. It is us together, warfaring together as the army of God. It is a collective work of the body of Christ. And against that kind of a church, the gates of hell will not prevail. You heard last week, the unity of the Spirit. And so too much things about spiritual warfare are taught today about me, my, I, and the individual. Well, certainly I am involved in this as an individual, but I am involved in it interrelationally, connected to all the rest of us. So we're all, we individually put on the armor of God, but we collectively put on the armor of God. You see that? We individually fight and strive against the enemy, but we also do it within the context of a collective fight and resistance to Satan. It's a corporate matter. We prayed to our God. And 
they not only prayed, they acted. Because you see, prayer produces a product. Prayer produces a product, action. Godly prayer never results in nothing happening in the natural. And so what do they do? We set guards as a protection against them day and night. So the opposition intensifies. You, you, you see, you think that, is, is there a place where Satan will give up and go home because we're just too good for him? <laughs> Do you really think that? I mean, we're talking about opposition and warfare. My back has been fine. This morning I'm sitting next to Gene on a chair, and I simply said, what time? I bent over just that little bit, and all of a sudden, bam, in the back. <laughs> Let me say this quietly. And I say it with all the fiber that I mean it. I don't care what Satan does. He will not stop the work of God. I am determined that the more he attacks, the more I will fight and resist. he's having so much success in so many lives today is that we fall apart and go home and trying to hide under the bed we don't have the spiritual backbone and guts to fight it out because we allow fear failure suffering difficulties begin to trump the power of the Holy Spirit and the victory of God in our lives. Oh, that we would be a people who are armed to the teeth with the grace of God and have one thought, warfare, resistance, and absolute victory completely. So I say, Satan, bring it on, and you're going to have to bring it on because my God is greater than anything you can throw my way. Don't surrender. If I can't walk next week, that's fine. Someone will push me around in a wheelchair. Opposition intensifies, verses 10 to 12. Perhaps some thought that the things would settle down now that we prayed, but the problems mount. Have you ever seen in your life when you actually prayed about something and you had some breakthrough and then you start walking out, all of a sudden things got worse? Anybody ever seen that? Like, where? What is going on? How can things get worse? I just spent time in prayer. I just came out of my prayer closet, walked into my room, and then someone jumped my bones about something, or I had this and I had a bad. How can this happen? This is not voodoo. It's not pixie dust. It's not witchcraft. This is real life opposition against God at every turn. So if you're praying and if you're ministering and if you're walking with God, whatever, please be ready to be attacked and stomped on. But when it happens, rise up and defeat the enemy in the power of the Spirit. So the opposition increased. The workers were exhausted. The rebuilding in verse 10 was difficult. The enemy was still threatening in verse 11. The families back home were being terrorized in verse 12. The thing was increasing. The enemy is increasing his attacks. You see, but what made the difference? What made the difference in the midst of the increase of the attack, the people were committed to go all the way. Are you committed to go all the way through hell itself if necessary? See, that's the kind of people God is looking for. Jesus said, if you continue to the end in Mark 13, we are here to get to the end. And we're committed to go to the end. 
Let us brace ourselves and gird up the loins of our minds, as 1 Peter 1.13 says, and determine this morning, I'm going to be a believer in Christ who will never settle for anything less than total victory over sin, over any attack, over everything of Satan, and I don't care what it costs, but I will go all the way to the end, and I'm going to go there and triumph. I may get hit, I may get cut, I may get stabbed, I may get knocked down, but every time I'm getting back up and I'm going through, Make it to the end. What were the gifts for the battle? There's gifts. Verses 13 to 20, Nehemiah is endued with certain necessary gifts of the Spirit in order to know what to do, to how to overcome the battle. These are called spiritual gifts. How are you going to overcome the enemy if you don't have spiritual gifts? I meet with people regularly, and I sit in the office, and I'm listening to your stories. I'm listening to the difficulties. I'm listening to the problems. And I'm telling you, and I've said this to the church many times, I'm sitting there. I don't have any idea what to say or what to do. I don't have any idea. I'm a dumb man. I, mean, I really mean that. I don't know what to say. What can I tell you about what you need in your heart? How do I know? And so as you're speaking to me, I'm constantly praying, Father, I need three things. I need the gift of knowledge or discernment. You see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I need the gift of wisdom, how to apply that knowledge and discernment. And I need the gift of faith that you will do the work and that that person will hear it and I'll receive. I got to have these three things. Father, I don't know what's happening. And I'll tell you this, and this isn't a pat on my back, it's, a, it's vintage Yahweh. It's just how God does. When you call out to him in need and when you believe that he will do it because it is his will and he will do it because he said he will if you call out, when you do that, expect to receive. And I guarantee I cannot remember one time in 21 years of dealing with people with huge problems that I have never, ever received what God needed for me to have to give to the person for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to occur. That's not because I'm great. I am not great. But because I serve and we serve a living and great God. How do you overcome the enemy? James, you've got to have the gifts of the Spirit, brother. See, this thing about the gifts of the Spirit is not just a Pentecostal thing. It's a life thing. How do I know what's wrong with it? How do I know what you need? How do I know what you got to do? I don't know, Jean would tell you. She does not live with a smart man. There's no books for me to go to. Okay, this happened in your life. Okay, brother, what are we going to do? Sister, how are we going to? I don't know anything. But I serve a God who knows it all. Amen? Can you say amen? I serve a God who knows it all and who will tell me and tell you everything we got to know. I know we should have to know, but I sometimes say I got to know because you get a, a thought of what's wrong with my grandma. I was an English teacher. What happened? The gift of knowledge to discern the opposition, the gift of wisdom to deal with the opposition, and he had the gift of faith for success over the opposition. How am I going to live without this? I don't even know what's going to happen at 10 o'clock. I need the gifts of the Spirit. He talked about that last week. This is not just theology. It's real life. I've shared this. Well, I may take a minute over it. You have to go. You just go. I'm, I'm sitting in my office minding my own business. And it's Tuesday. I've shared this before, I think. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon. I'm sitting in my office. And the Holy Spirit says to me, he says, call, may I say Jack and Jill, who were in premarital counseling, call Jack and Jill. Oh, okay. And tell them to come in. I've shared this with you, haven't I? So I called, and I got Jill on the phone. I said, Jill, I need to see you. Why? I said, we'll find out. The pastor calls me. He says, we're going to find out. I'm in trouble now. What have I done? What have I done? Right? You know, like sweating, principal's office. So she makes an appointment, and they come in the very next morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. Had I known it was 7 o'clock, I probably would never have called it. So, 7 o'clock, she walks in, 
this is Wednesday morning. When did I call them? Tuesday afternoon. And they're walking in, and he comes in first, and she's, she, she comes in, and he sits down, and she's, and she, he looks to her, and he says, how could he have known? She says, he didn't. I said, know what? I, I don't have anything for you. I don't have anything intrinsic in me to help you as far as Peter Davidson is concerned. I'm going to say it this way, which is the wrong way to say it. I just have the Holy Spirit in me. And I ain't needing nothing else. That night, Tuesday night, they had a knockdown drag out that almost broke the whole what do you call it, engagement process. Now, Janine, how would I have known that? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You see, so when you come to see me, you're not coming to see a man who has anything but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I don't want anything else. And I'm glad I don't have anything else. So he went through, here's what he did. He appointed guards in verse 13. In verse 14, he carefully evaluated the situation. He didn't just go out and do things. He evaluated, he thought, he planned. 14, he encouraged the people with a testimony of God's faithfulness. 16 to 18, he gave specific instruction for the way the people were to rebuild. You remember, take a trowel and a sword. You remember that here, we're going to rebuild and protect together. And in 19 to 20, he devised a warning. He says, bomb, 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 bomb. Remember, he said, blow a trumpet if you see somebody coming. And the sacrifice and warfare, 21 to 22. Even though the people prayed and worked, the effort also employed the needed ingredients of sacrifice. They worked day and night and day and night and day and night until they saw the success. What was the reason for the success? Basically, mostly. Do I have in your notes how many times Nehemiah called upon the name of the Lord in this? Do I have that in your notes? Look at how many times he calls upon God. Why are we successful? Because we call upon God. And what is the lesson? These are valuable lessons that we learn only through warfare. Through warfare, we come to know God better. We're equipped in a greater way so his testimony can shine through us in a most magnificent way. Thank you for allowing me to go over time this morning. See you next week.